One of the things all of us are deeply, deeply indebted to, and I can speak for myself, is those who have gone before us in faith. Today in the church, uh, in, in the church across uh, the country and the world, November the 1st uh, is thought of, at least in mainline in our Catholic sisters and brothers, Orthodox sisters and brothers, um, November the 1st is All Saints Day. It's a day when we remember those who have gone before us and who have proclaimed the message so that we have a message to hear and proclaim ourselves. If there had not been a preacher who preached in my home church, there would not have been a church. Someone to stand up. Now, whether that person had to be ordained or not really is, I think, a moot point. Quite frankly, uh, my ordination does not make me any more or less a preacher. Uh, that is how I was wired, for better or for worse. Uh, that is who I am, less the bishops laying hands on me and giving me authority to preach the word of God. The fact of the matter is all of us, all of us are called to do that now, which lays the groundwork for those who will come after us. Now, don't be thinking about what you'll do tomorrow uh, or what you didn't do yesterday, because it's too late. It's just too late. All you got is right now. How will you proclaim the good news with your life right now, right now? So I want to begin my message by uh, thanking my parents, my home church, my seminary professors, my friends, my uh, so-called enemies, those who pushed me and pulled me and prodded me and uh, gave me space to be me and to discover that that me was maybe different than, uh, than some of the others out there that my message and the way I proclaim it is mine. Uh, and it's not even mine, it belongs to God. But if I don't do it the way authentically God made me to do it, if I do it with a preacher voice or uh, in some uh, inauthentic way, then I'm not serving God too well. Having said all of that, today we turn to a call story which I find to be perhaps one of the most unique and most interesting call stories in the Bible. And the reason I do is because it comes out of a book in the Bible that doesn't mention God once. You heard me, the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, God gets no airtime. Now, we can imagine if you want to, and the early church fathers and mothers who decided we should keep the book, and our Jewish sisters and brothers who decided to keep the book, kept the book in spite of the fact it didn't, because they imagined, as you and I do, that God is always behind the scenes making things happen. But imagination or not, the book of Esther never says God's name. Now, before I read you this morning's text, I want to tell you that that is an important lesson that you and I need to be careful about because we clothe everything in God's name. We do everything. We go to war in God's name in spite of the fact that God finds war abhorrent. We do just, we vote for one side or the other in the name of God. 
I don't know, can God be on both sides at the same time? I think God can be, actually. But does God choose one candidate over another? Uh, some of my preachers, sisters, and brothers say so. <laughs> and I think they're full of hooey. I think they're full of hooey. You have to decide by listening carefully to what God is saying to you about those kinds of things. But you need to be careful whenever you do something and proclaim it's in God's name and at God's will. I need to be even more careful myself. I try almost never to clothe anything in the God's will kind of narrative. And yet, I can't help but think that God's will is unfolding around me all the time, and I'm in the midst of it. So just be careful. Just be careful. The whole book of Esther is so careful, it never once mentions God. Never once mentions God. Now, before we get to the part of the story I'm going to read to you, I just want to give you a little background information about this. Esther is a book that was written during the exile. Uh, that is to say that it's written from the perspective of people who had been ripped from their homeland, carried away to Babylon, and they're hanging out there <laughs> under King Ahasuerus, who, uh, you know, in those days, we don't know anything about absolute kings who seem to be able to do whatever they want to do, declare whoever should die shouldn't. During his reign, he has a queen whose name is Vashti. Queen Vashti decides to start a feminist movement herself. She has this big dinner with all of these women, and when the king sends for her, she refuses to go. You know, that's, that's pretty impressive, actually. But uh, let me just tell you that when this was happening, say 3,000 years ago, give or take a few hundred years, uh, that was not okay. <laughs> if the king sent for you and you didn't go, you were in a lot of trouble. And Vashti was in a lot, a lot, a lot of trouble. Now, he gets rid of her as king. As king, he gets rid of her as the queen, and he starts looking for a new queen. You know, and all that he cares about is that she be beautiful and attractive to his eye. That's really all that he's interested in. Uh, and so, enter into the picture a woman whose name, whose given name, is Hadessa. Hadessa. It's a Hebrew name. Only because she's in Babylonian exile, she gets a different name, Esther. And she was apparently beautiful. She's an orphan, raised by her uncle, Mordecai. And she's a beautiful woman. And when King Ahasuerus sees her, she becomes queen. Good news. Yay. Uh, a young Jewish girl in, a, in exile becomes the queen of Babylon. Now, there's a lot of weird rules in this kingdom, and one of them is you don't go to see the king unless you're asked and invited, or else you would be put to death. Unless, there's always a little unless, unless the king lifts up his golden scepter. And God, if, if the king lifts up his golden scepter, you're good. So, uh, there is uncovered among the royal household 
a plot. And it's uncovered by Mordecai, Esther's uncle, uh, that they are going to kill the king. Mordecai tells Esther, Esther tells the king, the, the plot is thwarted, yay. Except in the thwarting, a mid-level uh, kind of bureaucrat, Haman, is elevated to a higher position. And Haman decides it would really be good if we get rid of this minority that we've got here by killing them all. Guess which minority it was in Babylon? The Jewish people. We're going to kill them all. Now Mordecai gets wind of Haman's plan. And he calls to Esther. And these, uh, from chapter 14, this is our reading for this morning. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than any of the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. For just such a time as this. Timing is everything. That's what I call today's sermon. And the truth is, the time is always now. The time is always now. You don't have tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed I've got tomorrow. I don't even have 15 minutes from now, so I better get to preaching. Uh, because it could be over at any given moment. So how will we proclaim the news? What am I called to do in this time. Now, Esther Hadassah is just a simple everyday person. Yeah, she's elevated to queendom. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But she's still Hadassah, whether her Babylonian name is Esther or not. She's still Hadassah. She's still just like you and me. Human beings trying to figure out moment by moment how we are going to be who we are. How are we going to live that out? How are we going to be the people God imagines each one of us could be? We don't know all the things that are running through Esther's mind. Except when Mordecai first tells her you need to tell the king about this plot. Esther says, if I go in to see the king and he hasn't summoned me, I'm dead. I'm dead. This is risky business. Living into the calling this moment has. You know, we often talk in America like our highest God is God. But I've begun to think that our highest God in America is personal safety, personal security. That's why white people claim their whiteness. Uh, and that's, you know, 
why we are the most militarized country in the world. I'm not questioning the military. I, I uh, have a deep respect. And yet it's because we are most concerned for our personal safety and security that we you know, build walls and lock doors and purchase guns and do all sorts of other things. It's all about protecting me, protecting me, looking out for me, what's best for me, you know, what about, what's most best for my bank account, what's best for how I can get out of it. And Mordecai appeals to Esther for something bigger. And perhaps God appeals to us for something bigger. Stop worrying about yourself. This has never been a religion about you and about checking your box so you can get into heaven. It has never been a calling about that, ever. It has always been a calling for what is best for the community of faith. What is best for God's calling on your life? And your life calling is always about what's best for community, what's best for the world, what's best as God sees it, not as your hedge fund owner sees it. It's always about what will protect the other. And not just the other that looks like you, the other who may have no rights at all. The call on our lives is perhaps that in this moment, we can speak for the community. And we can speak out against injustice for just such a moment as these. Now, but let me, let me step back for just a moment. Esther doesn't clothe herself in a lot of God language. In fact, quite frankly, God is never mentioned. I already told you that. But you know what's most interesting? When she hears the words from Mordecai, perhaps for just such a time as this, her first move is to call upon all those of faith, all those of faith, to fast and pray. Before she makes any decision, before she risks her personal security and her own life and lays it on the line, she asks the entire community to fast and pray with her, to give her the courage now, you might say to yourself, it was a foregone conclusion that when Esther went in to call out the king about this bad thing, that she was going to live. Of course, God's on her side. Well, that's why we saved the story, James, of course. That doesn't make it any less risky for Esther to call out the powers that are. Doesn't make it any less risky for her to stand up and say the truth. If you're asking for a faith that makes speaking the truth easy, you have asked for the wrong one. I just have to say to you that this life of faith is hard work. And you are going to fail. I'm going to fail more than I succeed. 
And maybe we just need to put aside all of those little labels that we attach to everything, failing and succeeding anyway. The best I can do is throw and submit myself, throw my own will on God's and say, God, I can't figure this all out. There are people I think of as godly who stand over here, and there are people that I think of as godly that stand over here, and I know already that you love them both, red and blue, and even purple. And yet, if you listen to enough people on the red side, the blue people, God doesn't like. And if you listen to enough people on the blue side, the people on the red side, God doesn't like. I have to tell you, that's a lie. God may be disappointed with blue and red and purple and the issues that we think are most important. But God loves us all. Red, blue, yellow, green, purple, orange, whatever color you choose. God loves us all. Still, God stand, calls us to stand up, to stand up. And when you're called to stand up, usually it doesn't require demonizing anybody else. I don't have to win by calling you bad. You don't have to win by calling me bad. Because there is, is no winner. There is no winner. Oftentimes we argue about the minor stuff. Instead of looking to the major things. What's the most loving thing I can do? What's the most gracious thing I can do? How can I stand up for what I believe even if it risks my friendship? Take for instance... Now, I know this is very controversial because everyone thinks it's political, and maybe it is. It's the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And I have friends who constantly lift up and say, but all lives matter, and absolutely all lives matter. But until black lives matter as much as white lives matter, black lives have to matter. Because we've already said black lives don't matter as much. I mean, that's what society lives like. Look at the history. Redlining, all sorts of kinds of ways that we've disenfranchised are black and brown and red and yellow sisters and brothers in the name of our own security. If we look at that closely and we think about it, these uncomfortable issues call us to speak. Now, you may have already turned me off on, uh, you know, and you have that power. If you were here at church, you might have already walked out if you were in the building with us. But the truth is, I'm just speaking from my heart what I think is the truth that's been given to me. You can do with it what you want. I'm not saying it's God's will to listen to me. But I'm saying, please examine your truths. Are they in service of God? Are they in service of your own personal interests? Are they in service of your bank account or your tax bracket? Are they in service of your success or failure, your bigger house, your faster car, your more information, your faster speeds, all of those kinds of, because if that's what it's in service of, just own it. Own it. 
I don't serve God. I serve personal safety, personal security, my own self-interest. That's what I serve. Because until we own the truth about where we stand right now, we can't give ourselves to Christ. Because we're giving away a pretense. Yes, Christ rules in my life. And based on Christ ruling in my life, I can do whatever I want. I can keep doing the same thing I always did. And that's never okay. It's never okay. Yes, grace covers you. But don't you think grace calls you to a higher place? Ask yourself, what's the most loving thing you can do? What's the most gracious thing you could do? You could even ask, what would Jesus do? But in the end, the question really boils down to, with your own heart, what are you most invested in seeing happen? And can you let go of that long enough to ask, what is God most invested in seeing happens? I am so attached to my pleasant life, to my wonderful job as the pastor of St. James. I'm very attached to that. So attached, sometimes I probably am a little tiny bit mealy-mouthed about what I think because I don't want any of you to not like me. I don't want any of you to not agree with me. If I keep it as pablum as possible, more of you can. If I can just say, love everybody, yay, bye. Then it's much easier to embrace me, isn't it? Much easier to say, yeah, I like that James guy. He doesn't say anything, and I like that. <laughs> Take your faith seriously. You may tell me you already are, and if you are, great. But if you're like me, I keep finding the corners of my life I have not surrendered. I like my position too much. I like my health insurance too much. I like my retirement plan too much. I like my authority to teach and preach and to do the sacraments too much. As if the authority comes or any of those pieces come from a denomination. In the end, each of you and me has to be the person God's calling you to be, and perhaps for such a time as this, God is calling you to go against your own personal interest, to stand up for something that makes no sense to you. Perhaps, I'm not saying God is, but perhaps the reason you have come to this place in your life with this set of beliefs, with this set of grounding is so that you can take the next step in trust and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. It's hard work. Quite frankly, I'm very fond of my own will. I do it all the time. 
and then I kind of cover it. The church does this too a lot. Bless this thing I already intend to do. Not, what do you want me to do? But I already intend to do this thing. Bless it, God. And maybe that's okay. But maybe it's disingenuous. Maybe be honest enough about what your will is so that if you're asked to, you at least know you're giving up your will, not God's. And that's hard work. Esther risked her life for such a time as that and saved her people. That's why we kept the story. She saved her people. Would we have kept the story if all of the people had been wiped out? We might have because she risked her life and lost. We kept the story of a man who risked his life and died. That's what we founded this whole thing on. He risked his life. We didn't like what he had to say. And be honest, we didn't like what he had to say. And we killed him. But death doesn't get the final word. God's bigger than that. For such a time as this, God might be calling you. God might be calling you. What's God calling you to do?